When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, film study with Ken McCusick. We're back with the special Know Your Foe episode. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I am doing well. I'm excited to uh, – we hear a lot about Cam Newton, but that's the main guy we hear about from the Panthers. So I'm, I'm excited to get in deep with the Panthers and uh, get ready for this game next Sunday. So joining us, the Panthers expert for this week is Billy Marshall from the – Cat Scratch Reader, which is the SB Nation uh, blog for the Carolina Panthers. Billy, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. Now, we we know that the SB Nation blogs up here as the Baltimore Beatdown is uh, the Ravens version of your Cat Scratch Reader. So, uh, yeah, good, good guys over there. Kyle Barber at, uh, at SB Nation is, is definitely someone we interact with regularly. Uh, so let's get right to it, um, Billy, in terms of the, the, the Panthers. I, I think with every team, we really start out this way, but certainly with the Panthers, one of their headliners is Cam Newton. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you describe him to Ravens fans in terms of, you know, we, we obviously don't get to see the NFC teams nearly as often. Uh, in general, what we're looking to do with these episodes is trying to get an in-depth 
appreciation of the personnel, schemes, strengths, weaknesses of the upcoming opponent each week and go at a depth level that is good for fairly knowledgeable football fans. So our, our football fans typically know the difference between the nickel and dime defense, what that is. They know the A and B gap, you know, things like that. So give us, uh, you know, good detail as you can and uh, explain who Cam Newton is at this point in his career. Sure. Well, obviously when Cam Newton first came into the league, there were a lot of questions about his ability to develop to a premier quarterback. But I think after his first few years in the league, he answered those questions. and He's turned out to be uh, probably more than what Carolina expected when they drafted a number one overall in 2011. Um, at this point in his career, 2018, uh, he has a new offensive coordinator led by Norv Turner. I was a little skeptical of the hire uh, because looking at Turner's most recent uh, resume uh, in San Diego and in Cleveland, and then he was in Minnesota for a couple of years. I just really wasn't all that thrilled with some of the concepts and designs of his offense. But I have to say through these six games, uh, the 2018 season, I feel like Turner has not only evolved his offense, uh, but he's also played really well to Camp Newton's strengths. I still have a little bit of issues with the balance that they're attacking defenses in the first half, especially. I think they get a little too run heavy, uh, but I think the pass offense really fits Cam Newton's strengths. Um, there are a little issues with the deep passing game. Uh, that was certainly a strength of Newton's when he first entered the league and even in his MVP year, uh, those deep 20, 30 yard shots downfield uh you're not really seeing that as much this year um the hope was that when they traded for tory smith that he would help revitalize deep passing game but uh, in all seriousness i mean smith has been an asset for the offense but he really hasn't helped the deep passing game which is an area where i'm sure you guys as raven fans probably you know know full well about tory's ability to get vertical that that is certainly something we wanted to get into a little bit later. But yeah, Tori is a deep threat, is not the man he once was. Let's go back to Cam for a second though, because he's he's had one of his highest completion percentages, if not the highest this year, and he's had a greatly improved touchdown interception ratio. I believe he's might be at eleven and four right now. That's correct. Yes. So, you know, from that perspective, at least, I know that quarterback play across the league is at a higher level right now. But what, what still frustrates Cam Newton, or what does frustrate him now uh, in this new incarnation of him? Well, I'm not sure if it's necessarily uh, a unique thing that frustrates him, but like most quarterbacks, he probably isn't the best when he's dealing with pressure. And what I'll say to that is that he's greatly improved his pocket presence and his ability to uh, you know, I think Tom Brady is probably one of the greatest examples of this is kind of working within the pocket, your movement, and not just dropping back seven steps and then, you know, throwing like an arm, I mean, throwing with all your arm, you know, after you hit the seven step drop. He's doing a really good job of stepping up in the pocket and finding spaces and creating opportunities uh, that probably aren't there for the receivers. And then, as a last resort, he'll probably run it. Uh, but I think that, that you're still seeing some of his tendencies that kind of, People had questions about when he first entered the league. Uh, sometimes he can miss high. Sometimes 
you know, his eye level will drop at times when the blitz comes. That's normal for all quarterbacks, unless you're, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees. And, you know, th- those are probably the flaws. But I guess at the same time, um, yeah, the, my biggest issue right now is just the deep passing game. And that's just not that's not simply a function of just Cam. That's a function of the offensive line protecting and, and the receivers winning, too. And because while, yes, his completion percentage has certainly improved this year, uh, his other metrics like his yards per attempt and uh, you know, some other number like his air yards per attempt, those numbers are completely down than what they were, than what we're known for seeing with Cam Newton. So, yeah, I think it's kind of the trade off that you have to kind of live with for now. And the hope is that the deep passing game will eventually uh, improve as the season goes on. Okay, so from what from what I just heard you describe, if dropping his eyes in the pocket under pressure is a problem, that's what really got Mariota two weeks ago go for the eleven sacks from the Ravens. So that's encouraging to Ravens fans who will be listening to this pod. How has Newton been in escaping the pocket to his left in particular? Right-handed quarterbacks have a lot of trouble with that. Is that something Newton has been able to adjust, get his feet reset? or even throw on the run from an odd body position while moving left? Well, I, I'm not sure he's the strongest on throwing at the run period. He's not like Roethlisberger, where he's going to extend plays and then kind of run up, roll, roll out of the pocket and then find a guy. He's a very explosive athlete. I mean, he's like 6'5", 240 pounds, so, and he's like, I mean, his combine speed is like ridiculous. He ran like a 4'4", four, 4'5", four, four, so if he's going to roll out to his weak side and the nine times out of 10, he's going to run the ball. And, but at the same time, he'll throw it away. If he sees like a linebacker spying or something like that. Um, and, and I, and I will say to that, what we just brought up about his issues or excuse me, just in general issues with right-handed quarterbacks dealing with pressure from the left side is that, um, you know, Carolina has a left tackle currently, uh, Chris Clark, who they just picked off the street, like a few weeks ago, who, He's been really struggling the past few weeks. Um, but I think that, you know, Cam, he, and this is one thing that I've really appreciated about the offense in general is the fact that they, they are coming up with decoy and secondary options. So that's why a guy like Christian McCaffrey is so valuable uh, because, you know, his internal clock might not be running as quickly, but he knows he has a safety valve that he can use, whether it's McCaffrey or uh, some of their other receivers like Cheris Wright or, uh, yeah, Devin Funches maybe too. So that's kind of one of the positives. But um, you know, back to your original point, he, he's not a guy who's going to throw the ball on the run. I mean, if he's scrambling, he's most likely throwing the ball away, or he's going to run it. Okay, so the best way to uh, rush Newton would you say bring numbers to get him off the spot, or would you say keep him in the Star Wars trash compactor where you compress the pocket but keep a very disciplined rush lane? and then try and let him make an unforced error as that pocket slowly compresses on him. Yeah, I think if you go back a couple of years ago to the Super Bowl, um, I think one of the biggest issues that Carolina dealt with that day was uh, a lot of the green dog blitzes that Wade Phillips brought. And I think that pressure from the interior, especially with linebackers and safeties, really confuses this offensive line. And I think they do they do a pretty good job picking up stunts and other blitz concepts. But if you have a creative defensive coordinator, like I just mentioned, mentioned Wade Phillips, 
then that becomes an issue for our, the offensive line. And while some of the players, it's almost like a patchwork offensive line, their left guard is, you know, essentially making his, it's his first year starting their right tackle is a second round pick a couple years ago. It's his first year starting. And then Ryan Khalil, um, you know, the center who they been on the team for over a decade, he's a shell of himself. And then, um, they are their right guard. Trey Turner is, you know, a multiple time pro bowler who's pretty reliable, but I think he's being asked to do a little too much. And then obviously, like I said, the left tackle was an issue. I think that they've done a pretty admirable job with some of their protection schemes and picking up blitzes. Uh, but I think that one area where they really struggle and then uh, an area that will affect Cam is when you bring pressure uh, through the A-gaps with linebackers and safeties. I think that right. if you bring like a cornerback blitz from the edge, I think that that kind of plays into Carolina's hands really well. Huh, very interesting. So uh, the Ravens make a lot of use of the slot blitz, and they did rush both outside corners on one play last week. But they do, Tavon Young off the slot blitzes a lot. Uh, slot blitz in particular, do you almost consider that because of the possibility of it coming through the B-gap as more of a center blitz, or do you still consider that an edge blitz? So, yeah, I would consider that probably uh, an edge blitz. And the reason I, I say that they do a pretty good job of it is that Newton, people might not know this, but he's really cerebral and he, he picks up blitz blitzes really well. And I think he's been in the league long enough to know it. And that's why a guy like McCaffrey is so valuable because not only has he improved as a pass blocker, you can use him as a safety valve to use like a quick screen or have him run into the flat real quickly. And then you're essentially exploding the space left behind by the blitzing um, corner. So that's why, you know, we've seen Carolina do some pretty good stuff in that respect. Uh, but overall, I still feel like if you are bringing more than four defenders, that they're going to eventually run into issues. And and you saw that last week against Philadelphia. Um, they, they just decided not to bring any pressure in the second half, and eventually, you know, Carolina was able to come back and win. Okay. All right, fair enough. Let's move on to some of the other skill position players. Torrey Smith, you mentioned it earlier. Ravens fans certainly know him as a deep threat that first year in, in San Francisco. He's at right around 20 yards a catch. Uh, tell us where he is this season. So, yeah, like I said, I wasn't a huge fan when they brought him in. Um, you know, I, I really liked him coming out of you know, uh, coming out of Maryland. I thought he was a pretty good prospect that I was hoping Carolina would draft him, um, you know, early in that second round. I think, I think you guys did a pretty good job of you know, picking up a local guy, but anyway, I mean, w- the thought and the narrative when they brought him in among the coaches and some of the other local media members was, this is a guy who was going to help replace Ted Ginn. And for as, you know, harsh of criticism Ted Ginn received because of his drops, he was a very valuable receiver for Cam Newton because of his ability to get vertical and stretch defenses. And that was kind of the perception is that, you know, Smith can, you know, maybe not produce like Ginn, but he'll, you know, open up the rest of the offense. Uh, and essentially it just hasn't happened yet. And I'm not sure why it hasn't happened. I think there, like I said, there's some issues with the offensive line and the protections, right. And then having, you know, the quarterback and receiver get in sync, it just hasn't. But with that said, I, I feel like Smith has been pretty valuable um, 
as a receiver in other areas. He's doing really well in the intermediate game, and he, he's, he's actually doing a lot better than I thought he would, you know, breaking yards after catch. Uh, and yeah, I'm not sure if you saw. Percentage was up at his highest level, too. So that's exactly. interesting. And I haven't. I've noticed a couple drops here and there, but nothing too egregious. And yeah, I mean, there were some plays downfield that I mean, it would have been a difficult catches that it was like, you know, probably over the shoulder. Uh, I mean, I don't really expect him to catch any. I don't really consider him to be like one of the top guys. So I kind of just brushed it off. But yeah, he's been fairly reliable, I, I would say, as a receiver, and that's kind of more than I expected for him. But I, I just my hope was that he would help elevate this deep passing offense and that essentially hasn't happened so hopefully that does there's still time left but right now i mean he's producing in other areas that i didn't expect him to so i guess that's a positive sure if we look back a few years to his i think his second year in baltimore i think it was 2012 but i may have the year wrong um he had the three longest pass interference calls drawn in the entire league and obviously at blazing speed at the time the Ravens had ways to get Flacco out of the pocket that gave a little more time and space. He would put the ball up down the sideline, and the defenders would do anything they could to try and hold him up or stop him while the ball was in the air. And he had a 50, a 50, and a 60-yard pass interference call all in one season. So three of them. And uh, is there any of that going on now with Newton? Is there any you know attempt or ability to draw long pass interference calls? Well, no, it hasn't happened. And that's, you know, some of the Eagle fans I was talking to who experienced it with Smith last year said the same thing, that he drew a lot of pass interference penalties. And no, again, they've attempted maybe three or four deep passes with Smith. And each time one was, you know, an inaccurate throw by Cam. The other was a pretty, it was a fine throw. I just think it would have been a difficult catch too. I mean, it wasn't necessarily, it was kind of placed outside where, I mean, if you place it inside of an interception, it was against the Bengals. But, and the other time, I'm not, I mean, I think it was just overthrown. So, yeah, I, I just don't think the deep passing game and the sync between the quarterback and the receiver hasn't been there. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But it just hasn't happened. I mean, I would take a pass interference call, right? I mean, this week if it happens, but. I mean, not really too confident, so we'll see. All right, fair enough. Well, DJ Moore, another guy with Maryland roots, uh, uh, many folks wanted the Ravens to draft him, and it looks like his targets have been on the rise the last few games. What what can you tell us about him? Yeah, so he had a pretty rough game a couple weeks ago against Washington. Um, He fumbled a punt return, and then he fumbled another, like, long reception and those both led to points. Uh, so besides that, as a receiver, he's been pretty solid. Uh, they use him in different personnel packages, but I think that one area where, you know, I was excited for the acquisition of more was his ability to catch a ball and make defenders miss in space. And he's really strong. He, he's almost built like a running back where, I mean, it's not, easy to bring him down on first contact. He's going to break tackles. He's going to make, you know, some elusive moves on the field. And that's kind of been, you know, an area that he's been an asset for the Panthers offense. Now I will say that he is not the best route runner watching him on tape. He still has a little difficulty 
separating from press. Uh, yeah, some of his routes just are a little choppy at the moment. But, I mean, he's still young. He's I think he's like 21 years old. So um, I would expect him to improve in that regard. But I think the way that Carolina is using him uh, on screens, reverses, drags, digs, uh, some you know short intermediate stuff where he can kind of get open quickly and use his you know special ability to make yards after catch. That's sort of where Carolina has been utilizing him, and he's done a pretty good job of that so far. All right. Well, it's good to hear he's he's uh, at least making a contribution in some way now. Uh, let's move on to. The guy who really took a big step forward last year is Devin Funches. And tell us, has he maintained that so far in 2018? Yeah, certainly. I mean, he's the one who's making a lot of important catches at important moments of the game. Uh, And he's really becoming Cam Newton's go-to receiver. And that's what they were hoping for in 2015 when they drafted him. Uh, When they traded up, actually, in the second round to draft him. So... He still has some issues catching the football, but I think he's done a lot in a technical aspect, such as his footwork and his release off the line of scrimmage. He's using his hands a lot better uh, to break press, and that's kind of allowed him to gain separation early in the routes. And that's not an area where he was very strong. I mean, he played tight end at Michigan. So for him to kind of make this evolution and change his body in some respects and He's a really good athlete, too. So, I mean, it it was never in doubt about his potential. Um, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be like a, you know, a consistent 1,000-yard receiver. Uh, He's most likely a 750, 800-yard receiver. And that's, you know, perfectly fine for Carolina's offense, given, you know, how many other targets they have. But, I mean, I would certainly say that he's the number one guy. I mean, he's improved a lot in the technical aspects of the game. And, yeah, I mean, just... Some of his drafts, especially in opportune times, can be a little frustrating. Um, but, I mean, he's been pretty reliable. Okay. Now, uh, obviously, he's, he's uh, got to be the number one guy based on last year's numbers. At, at tight end, though, Greg Olson, a big asset, lost to IR now. Is that correct? I thought I saw. Uh, lost to IR. I think he pretty sure he returned. Oh, did he? Okay. I'm I'm really not up on it. Being an AFC fan, we don't see him play all the time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, no. He, he, he was – sorry, no, yeah. When he suffered the injury early in the year, uh, I think it was like week one, there was thought of IRing him with the designation to return. But I don't think the injury was you know, as severe as it probably was made out to be. So, no, he returned last two weeks ago against Washington – uh, he looked pretty good, um, and then last week I thought he was, you know, much better. He looked like, you know, the guy that has been such a reliable member of this offense for the past six years. So, yeah, he, I mean, he's certainly an important member of this team, and I think he does a lot, not only for Cam Newton, but for the rest of the receivers with this ability to, uh, you know, open up other spaces. Uh, I mean, he gets downfield, down the seam pretty well, and then, you know, he's. Uh, a reliable receiver, especially in contested situations, too. Okay, fair enough. I mean, a lot of people don't realize he's been in the league now 13 years. Yeah. That's a, I had, I really would not have thought that. I would have thought 2011, 2012 he came in. But that is quite a long career already. 
good. They're almost to 700 receptions now. Okay, uh, Ian Thomas got a fair amount of play while he was out then, I guess? Yeah, he, he certainly picked up the slack um, you know, from weeks two up until, I think it was a Giants game uh, a couple weeks ago. And, but since then, the, he really only has played like maybe three or four snaps in total mm-hmm. in the last two weeks. So they really haven't used him since Olsen's return. Um, it's, a, it's a questionable decision, in my opinion. I thought he showed a lot. You know, in the first couple few weeks, I mean, he wasn't perfect by any means. He's still a pretty raw rookie um, coming out of Indiana. He only had like something like 20 career catches. So, but I know, I mean, I just wish that Carolina would give him, you know, an opportunity to play through his mistakes because I do think that, you know, his potential is, um, he, he can serve this offense very well as number two tight end. Uh, but I, I think the reason for that is that Carolina is doing a lot more 11 personnel. Okay, I was going to ask. Yeah, so essentially, like, I think the scheme has some sort of issue to do with that. North Turner has never been, you know, a heavy 12 personnel guy on offense. So I think that probably has a little to do with his decrease in snaps. Right, of course. Do they ever alternate? Is Olsen pretty much a a three-down guy when he's available such that Thomas just doesn't get any playing time? Yeah, I would say he's a three-down guy whenever he's available. I mean, he, he usually doesn't come off the field unless it's for injury. Okay. All right, very good. And they don't have another blocking tight end they really use in any situation, even in goal line, do they have somebody? No, they do. They have a guy named Chris Manhurts. Uh, I think he was a former basketball player. A couple of years ago, Carolina brought him into training camp, and he impressed the coaches, and they've kept him on it. And, you know, the practice squad, he's kind of made his way up their ranks. And, and now he's, you know, their de facto uh, blocking tight end. For the past couple of years before that, it was a guy I'm sure you're aware of, uh, Ed Dixon. Uh, sure. But yeah. th- th- this past free agency, they allowed Dixon to walk in free agency. I think, he, I think he's in Seattle now. So, yeah, I mean, Manhurts is a guy, if they're ever running, like, you know, some goal line packages and some heavy personnel on the field. Do they ever use a sixth lineman? They did quite a bit last year, and that, I think, was precipitated due to they wanted to get their second-round pick on the field, Taylor Moton. And at the time, it was a good idea because Daryl Williams um, was the right tackle, but... In training camp, Williams suffered a pretty serious injury. So now the second-round pick from that year, Moton, um, you know, he's now the uh, the right tackle. Um, and he's done a really good job there, too. So, uh, I mean, I was pretty high on him when they drafted him uh, a couple of years ago. But I mean, he's lived up much above my expectations. Uh, but, no, they don't really use too much, too many six OL now. It's essentially going to be um, – two tight ends, and they might bring an extra fullback. That's one thing they've done more recently. And, and Meaning they bring a fullback into the game, not an extra fullback. They don't have, they don't play a full house backfield, do they? No. Just, so, like, for example, uh, they would have maybe C.J. Anderson and Chris McCaffrey, like in, the, in like an I formation, 
with Anderson as a fullback and McCaffrey as the deep back. And then they would bring their natural fullback, Alex Arma, and he would be lined up with the tight ends, like kind of right next to them. Yeah, Yeah, like an H-back. Okay, very very good. So uh, that's interesting. That's some good scheme insight there. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, still the big player on the offense in general? Yeah, definitely. I think that he his breakout game was again Cincinnati week three. He had almost 200 yards rushing. Uh, I mean, he kind of really silenced a lot of critics and said he couldn't run between the tackles. Um, he couldn't rush, rush through contact, and I thought he had a phenomenal game, uh, you know, that week. But the the issue right now is that he hasn't had any rushing touchdowns. Uh, you know, most of his value still comes from the passing game. And, you know, I think that another area that Carolina has been kind of forced to struggle is the fact that they come out with such a run heavy. Um, they, they come out so run heavy in the beginning of games in the first half that they just aren't really effective. And that's why they're, you're seeing them come back from like 14 and 17 point deficits these past couple of weeks is when they had to expand the playbook and have Cam Newton go and no huddle. And that really plays their strengths. But at the same time, I, I would like them to kind of find the correct balance. So you have an effective run game where you can use McCaffrey like you should. And he's something, I mean, you look at his yards per carry, it's still pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, I, I don't think he's been, he's certainly exceeded my expectations as a runner, but I think that the majority of his value still comes as a, uh, as a receiver. Okay, so the Panthers right now averaging 5.2 yards per carry as a team, which is obviously fantastic. And in terms of yards per attempt, they're sitting at 6.8. And I don't know if that's net yards per attempt or gross yards per attempt. I can't actually see that. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it kind of justifies some of that uh, run-heavy offense, assuming that they are willing or they don't have a fumbling issue. No, they really don't have a fumbling issue. I can only recall that, I mean, their first drive of the season, they had like a pretty decent drive against Dallas. McCaffrey fumbled inside the five. That's mm-hmm. like the only one I can really think of um, off the top of my head. Uh, but I, I think that those rushing statistics are a little skewed because of Camp Newton's ability as a runner, which, I mean, I don't mind it. Uh, I just feel like I would rather see him drop back and throw the ball because he's too valuable to lose, you know, on sure. one of these collisions uh, that, you know, that you see all too often. Uh, but yeah, I think that the run game in general has always been a strength of Carolina's, but I think a lot of defenses are prepared for these days. And that's why they've been, you know, they haven't really been successful in the first half of games because they, I guess they just, for some reason, they're just not opening up the playbook. And that's been a concern of mine, and I hope that changes over the next few weeks. All right. Let's wait Let's wait, wait, wait for the week after the Ravens then. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> excellent, excellent look at the skill position players. Let's let's talk for a moment about the offensive line. Can you take us through kind of position by position? We got a little bit of this early, 
You mentioned left tackle is Clark, a guy who's just really starting out. Give us a little bit more pass blocking, run blocking. Uh, he's a, he's a rookie or he's a he's a second year player. Where is he? Uh, no, so Chris Chris Clark, excuse me. He's been in the league for a while. Uh, he was most recently with the Texans last year, um, and they signed him because of an injury uh, to their starting left tackle Matt Khalil, and. I think Khalil has been practicing the past couple weeks because he is eligible to return off the injured reserve. Um, so I'll be interested to see if he practices tomorrow and what they decide to do. But as far as Clark, his strengths and his weaknesses, I mean, I just I think he he moves pretty well in space, especially when Carolina calls you know, some of these toss plays or pin and pulls where they have you know the the guard blocking down and, you know, um, the left tackle is essentially running out and blocking a, a safety or linebacker in space. He does a pretty good job of that. I think he... So, so he has, pulls left outside of the tight end. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, exactly. And and you call that a pendant play? No, a, a pin, pin and pull. Pin and pull. P-I-N. Yeah, yes. pin and pull, yeah. So he's pretty successful there. And I would say he has decent functional strength, uh, but his biggest weakness is definitely in pass protection. He doesn't have the best feet in the world. He kind of oversets at times, which means that like when uh, like an edge rusher, when he's expecting an rusher to beat him with speed, he kind of like opens his body and his hips up too much, which mm-hmm. creates a huge opening for the rusher to just beat him inside. And I'll say it like he also doesn't really have like the foot speed and the quickness to you know, make, you know, keep up with edge rushers when they are making a speed rush. Um, so I, I just, he's a safe, he's a, essentially a, backup reserve lineman and that's essentially what Carolina has been dealing with for the past couple weeks so um, I mean for this upcoming week it should not be a, a pretty match in Carolina's respect I'm sure uh, Baltimore's edge rushers are licking their chops um, but the I moved to the left guard which is Greg Van Rotten he mm-hmm. is a first-year player, I and mean, he's been in the system for a couple of years, a practice squad guy. Uh, I think he went to an Ivy League college. But he's been a revelation because their former left guard, Andrew Norwell, got paid significantly by Jacksonville in free agency. And he was also an undrafted free agent when he came in 2014. Um, but, you know, Carolina was able to develop Van Rotten, and they had an open competition for the spot during training camp. And he essentially won it. And I think that he's earned the respect of the coaches and the validation almost because he's just been really, really good. I think his technique and his power, I think his ability to pick up on stunts, I mean, he reads the game really well. I mean, again, he is an Ivy League grad, so that's you know, no surprise. Uh, I also think that he, you know, when he's running – like when he's pulling on power plays, I think he locates a lineman or a linebacker really well and kind of creates a crease for the running back. Uh, I think he's been outstanding, and he probably is our second best offensive lineman this year. Um, 
moving to the center position okay. that is where take a second here on Van Roten if you would. Yeah, sure. You mentioned that he's been a good puller so far. So he's plays left guard. I assume that means they're a they're a right handed team. Most of their power runs go to the right side. That's correct, yes. Okay. And I, I, do they does Carolina play a lot of short pulling game or are most of those long power pulls where Van Roten is going usually two two pull two uh, gaps or more on his pulls, such that he's hitting either the B gap or the C gap on most of his pulls. Yeah, he's usually hitting the B gap. I mean, he's pulling across the, uh, or excuse me, behind the center, and okay. and he, he, he as soon as he pulls around the center, like he's going through there and finding a linebacker. And that's kind of through that B gap is where the running back is usually. You know, that's where the assignment is asking the running back to hit. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, okay, so please continue on with Khalil at center, right? Yeah, so that's Ryan Khalil, who, which is who is the older brother of Matt Khalil, and obviously he's been a steady presence for Carolina for a number of years. Uh, but he announced this offseason that 2018 will be his final year, uh, and he's really struggled though, um, and that's no slight to him. I mean, he's still, I would say, probably. Average at best, he struggles a lot with his quickness and speed of the game. And I know you probably don't need it for, you don't think you would need it for a center, but I just think that his footwork is pretty slow out of the blocks. Um, he doesn't deal with power as well as he once did, uh, especially when he's asked to anchor any individual defensive lineman. Um, I think he's a pretty... So he's still really good at like making checks and calls at the line of scrimmage, and he slides protections really well. As far as his communication with the rest of the offensive line, I just don't think the physical part of the game is where it was earlier in his career. And I mean, he was like a you know, not even sure like he, I think he made all pro like three times in his career. I mean, he's been a great player and person for the organization. It's just that I think. This is his final year, and that's probably a good thing. Um, I'll move to right guard, which is Trey Turner. Um, they drafted him in 2014. The third okay, Trey, Trey Turner. Tell us about him. Yeah, he's been probably the most reliable guy. Uh, I think one of his biggest attributes is his, kind of his nastiness and his tenacity as a blocker. Uh, I think that... He plays a game very violently, but also legally. So you'll see him kind of winning with power and, you know, making a lot of amazing pancake blocks and kind of taking down guys who come on stunts. So I think an area that he struggles um, is he can get a little, get a little too confused with different type of hand combinations. And what I mean by that is a guy like Fletcher Cox, who played last week, kind of made a couple different pass rush moves, like some rip and chop moves that he didn't expect at all. And that essentially just had him misplace his hands when he was attempting to block Cox. And Cox had a few um, hurries and pressures as a result of that. So that's an area where some of Baltimore's defensive linemen could probably attack him. Uh, but as far as that, I mean, he's such a, you know, 
perfect <laughs> offensive guard. I mean, he has pretty much everything you would ask for. Um, I mean, he's really strong in the run game. Uh, you know, in the pass game, he can still anchor against anyone once he gets his hands on you. So, yeah, he's he's, he's been really good, um, you know, throughout his time here. All right. And then um, I'll move to the right tackle, finally. Uh, that's Taylor Moton. He's been our best offensive lineman this year. Um, I mean, like I said, he replaced Daryl Williams in training camp, but I felt that he probably should have started sooner in his career. And, you know, when he was coming out, I mean, he's, he played right tackle at Western Michigan, and that's where he's been so far in Carolina. They wanted to use him as a left guard, but, uh, I mean, I think a right tackle is a lot more fluid. Uh, I mean, he's such a good pass protector. Uh, I mean, he's only allowed, like, five or six total pressures on the year. Uh, maybe he's allowed, he gets a lot, like, one or two sacks, but still, like, he's done a lot to protect Cam Newton's front side. Um, I mean, he's really strong in the run game, too. Um, so I think with, he does. With, yeah, with sure. having struggled, is there, was there, has there been any talk of moving him to the left side? If they move Moton to the left side? Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, I think he would struggle. Uh, I mean, if you look at his some of his career statistics in college, 90% of his snaps came on the right side. So, I don't know. I, I'm not really familiar with the development or the transition from the right to the left. I just feel like, for him, it just makes a lot more sense to play in his comfortable area, and he's doing a really good job to validate, you know, why Caroline spent a pretty high draft pick on him. Okay. All right. And, and feet-wise, as compared to somebody like Clark, who's who's got the better feet? Oh, definitely Moton. He's a former basketball player. I think he played a couple other sports in high school growing up. Um, he definitely is a lot more athletic and fluid as, you know, with his footwork. You know, I'm seeing him at 6'5", and I'm wondering, obviously, if I can be just Marlowe's there. What was that? For arm length, for Taylor Moton, does he have the, does he have the length to play left tackle? Because you make you you're giving making a good case why he has the feet for it. My question is why isn't he playing on the left side when Clark is stinking up the joint? If he's got feet and potentially arm length as well. Um. Well, again, that's a good question, but I think one of the areas. I think it's just because of his familiarity, just because he's been so dominant on the right side. That the coaches don't want to keep moving it around. They don't want to stunt his development any further um, by asking him to do take on multiple roles. Maybe they'll ask him to do that in the offseason where he has a lot more time to, you know, adjust to it. Uh, but for now, I think they're doing the right thing uh, because I do think Matt Khalil will eventually return in a couple weeks. And then they'll have the right guy at right tackle. I got it. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, a great uh, rundown on the offensive line. We always like to hear that. Uh, any schematic things the offensive line does? We talked about power running to the right. What, what about uh, unbalance? Do they play some unbalance? No, they haven't done that under North Turner as much as I thought they would. Um, last year, they certainly did a lot of it under Mike Shula. Uh, but 
they they really haven't been an unbalanced offensive line much this year. They're pretty straightforward with how they're gonna show you know their looks. So uh, I mean, you shouldn't expect any unbalanced line formations. All right, all right, fair enough. Uh, something we do, do see a fair amount out of the Ravens, probably six or eight times per game. Now we've been seeing unbalanced and having uh, Hurst in particular covered up a tackle by another tackle. Mm-hmm. That's a great job on the offensive line. Really appreciate that to go through it and, and, and take us through in that kind of detail about strengths and weaknesses, exactly what we're looking for. A lot of offensive line fans on the on the Ravens side, I know. Uh, let's move over to the defensive line in terms of uh, the interior players in particular and who's having a good year. I know it's Kawan Shorts, very highly rated by PFF. Tell us what you can about his year so far this year. Yeah, I mean, certainly the production isn't where it needs to be for a player of his caliber, uh, but he's still affecting the games really well uh, with a lot of pressures. I mean, he, his run defense the past couple of years has been outstanding, and that's one area that, you know, he didn't have the most success when he first entered the league. Um, I mean, he was ma- mainly like your traditional three-tech guy, just get up field and kind of, you know, on rundowns, he would leave those gaps open because he went a little too far upfield. But now I think he's doing a pretty good job of, being disciplined and holding his responsibilities so the linebackers can come in and, and clean up plays. But at the same time, Carolina's run defense in general has just not been very good um, this year. Uh, but, yeah, Short is definitely the standout performer on a very underwhelming, uh, I'll say, defensive line. <laughs> okay, now I notice uh, Kawan Short probably has played a little over 60% of the snaps maybe for the Panthers this year. And if you, if you go down, teams that generally have their top guy play only 60% usually are fairly well rotated. Is that a fairly good definition or description of what you think has been done with the, the Panthers so far this year? Yeah, they, they, they certainly have a decent depth. I, I mean, they have depth, I'll say that. Whether it's decent remains to be seen because they just haven't played very well as a collection. Um, yeah. So, so Poe, tell us about him. Yeah, I mean, Dontari Poe was signed this offseason to replace the outgoing uh, star Lutilale, who went to Buffalo. Um, and Poe just really hasn't lived up to the expectations when they signed him. Uh, you know, I always thought of him as maybe he isn't as strong of a run defender as star Lutilale. But I felt that he could provide more value as a pass rusher. But he really hasn't done both to the capabilities that I expect of you know a former top ten pick and a guy who got paid pretty handsomely. How many years did he get signed for? I think it was a three year, twenty one million dollar deal. Okay. I mean, he was their biggest free agent signing this off season. So yeah, I need to get something out of that. That's for certain. Uh, yeah. Kyle Love, what's he done? He's uh, probably one of their better defensive tackles in the rotation right now. He's always been a rotation guy since he joined. I think it was in 2015. And, you know, that's kind of been, you know, there. I mean, it's like he plays mainly as a one technique. Uh, he does a pretty good job, you know, kind of handling double teams and anchoring, um, you know, against you know, multiple offensive linemen and allowing the linebackers to clean up. Uh, I think the biggest issue for him this year has been his gap control. Uh, I think he's just 
been a little too lazy with his ability to read the correct gaps and you know kind of funnel things to the linebackers. Uh, and that is, as a result, has allowed the run defense to suffer, which uh, isn't a good thing. But um, he's been pretty good as a pass rusher this year. Um, and he's a typical kind of rotation defensive tackle. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, after him, the, the next guy I see in terms of snap count here is Vernon Butler. Vernon Butler is their former first-round pick uh, in 2016. Um, I felt that he's been pretty decent watching him on film. It's just the production isn't there. And when you're a former first-round pick, your production is supposed to meet what you show on film. And right now, that just hasn't happened for him. So we'll see if that improves over the course of this season. Uh, but right now, he's certainly hasn't lived up to his ex first former first round status and you know i don't really know what else to to say about him i mean he does a pretty good job of rushing the passer he's just been really poor as a run defender uh, i think he just gets kind of run out run out of plays he doesn't hold the anchor particularly well um but well we'll see he's still you know, in his third year but he has to improve to kind of earn the coach's trust it's it's isn't it kind of worse than that with a third year player because as a first round pick, you have to make the choice on the fifth year option after year three before year four. So if Butler yeah. doesn't, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I said so if he doesn't show up in the second half of the season, they probably they may say no on the fifth year option. Just keep him around for the fourth year and then let him roll. Uh, and if that means a comp pick, that means a comp pick. Yeah, I don't, I don't see Carolina picking up a fifth-year option at all. I mean, unless he like you know, managed to get like five sacks or six sacks in a year and kind of shows a lot more development as a run defender, I, I just feel like he's underwhelmed so far. And I mean, he, he's a solid rotational rusher to have, but you're expecting a little more of a former first-round pick. All right. All right, very good. Um, let's move out to the edge. Who? Uh, what can you tell us about the various edge defenders? Well, I think the standout player right now is Mario Addison. Um, I mean, when they first brought him into Carolina, he was a, a waiver claim. Maybe he was more of a situational pass rusher, but I think he's done a lot to improve his overall game the past couple of years. Uh, I think he's, you know, been a really standout run defender, and you know, he's like I say, it was a sub-package pass rusher. That was kind of what he was known for. But, uh, I mean, he's certainly, like, they're the edge rusher that a lot of teams will key on. And, I mean, he's been fine. It's just that he isn't really, like, the force that you're expecting out of a number one pass rusher on your team. Um, the other guys... Wes Horton, Julius Peppers, and uh, you know Marquise Haynes. He plays a few snaps too. I mean, they're all decent rushers in general to have. I mean, Peppers is thirty-eight. He had a particularly effective year last year. He had like seven and a half sacks, uh, but he didn't really produce a lot of pressures. So you know that number was bound to regress, and that's been the case this year. You know, he has like two sacks in a year. Um, I mean, he did get the game-winning sack fumble 
against the Eagles. So, um, you know, hopefully that can kind of you know, tr- have him trend upwards, uh, you know, as the season goes on. But, you know, outside of that, Wes Horton, you mean, he's always been a pretty solid rotational edge rusher, but he's just not going to make a difference too much. Um, and then Marquise Haynes is their rookie edge rusher. Um, he was drafted in the fifth round. He's similar to Addison when he was coming out. He's only like 230 pounds, mostly a sub-package guy. So uh, we'll see if he ever gets time, but most likely he'll be inactive on game days. Okay. So going back to Peppers for a second, obviously he started his career in Carolina for the first five years. Now he's come back the last couple. After a you know, reasonably successful detail, or I think you'd have to say in Chicago and Green Bay where he played very well. I mean, he is a Hall of Fame candidate. Is there any reason why he wouldn't be in Carolina's ring of honor for the time he played there? Uh, well, yeah, certainly. I mean, he's this is probably his last year anyway. So, um, I mean, he's he's still pretty decent, you know, as a pass rusher. It's just that I mean, he's 38 years old, and you know, there's not much else you can expect from him. I mean, no, no, I certainly, it's not a 2018 question, Billy. It's just a question about his Ring of Honor status because it's it's unusual oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to see okay, a player who belongs in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. pretty clearly, or is close anyway. In in Pepper's case, well, yeah, I, and, I would say that he's probably been the best Carolina Panther that has been drafted by the team. Okay. Um, I know that some people will probably say Steve Smith. Uh, some people will say, um, you know, Cam Newton. And Cam will probably be there by his, when his career ends. But right now, I would say uh, Peppers has certainly been the most impactful. I mean, just look at what he did early in his career. Um, I mean, he kind of transformed defense that was lifeless. They came off a 1-15 year. They were rewarded by drafting him. And he essentially spearheaded a dominant defensive line. Maybe into Super Bowl against New England, uh, you know, unfortunately lost. But I mean, he was just a reliable double figure sack guy each and every year. I mean, his athleticism and his strength, the combination of the two was just scary. And it was a pleasure certainly to watch him, you know, growing up. But, um, yeah, I, I would certainly. I think he's definitely a shoehorn to get in to the Hall of Fame whenever he becomes eligible. He could, could be up against Terrell Suggs if he retires after this year, and Terrell does also. Now Terrell may have more time left, but assuming they go in against each other, sorry, they're up against each other. I would have to think that it would be probably not good for either of them, but I would have to think that Suggs probably has the edge based on the run defense he's provided over all these years. Yeah, and he's also on a Super Bowl too, so. <laughs> yeah. All righty. All right, well, fair enough. Um, uh, other edge rushers we want to talk about? Anybody else? Or that we good there? Yeah, I think I went over some of the other guys too, so I think we're good there. Okay, so let's move on to the linebackers, uh, the inside linebackers specifically. Luke Keekley still one of the best in the game. Tell us what you see that's really special about him that you just don't see from other linebackers. Yeah, it's mainly his ability to quickly diagnose and react to plays. Um, I mean, you could see him taking, like, where most linebackers, like, two false steps would completely eliminate them from plays. But if he takes, like, two or three false steps, 
and he's heading like in the opposite direction of like a screen or um, a run, he'll be able to recover with such quick athleticism and fluidity that you wouldn't even recognize that he made any false steps. And that's just kind of been the MO throughout his career. I mean, he's a special like coverage linebacker. He can, you know, guard linebackers one-on-one. He gets 20 yards downfield if he's like a middle hole defender in a cover two where he's able to kind of carry linebackers down the seam for like 20, 30 yards. Um, I mean, he reads the quarterback's eyes really well and he can make some special plays, um, you know, whether it's interceptions or tackles for loss or fumbles or strip sacks, whatever. Um, I mean, he, he pretty much does it all. Uh, I mean, certainly he has had some concussion issues the past few years, but, um, you know, knock on wood, you know, I mean, stays healthy because, I mean, he, he's certainly been one of the more special players this franchise has seen. Okay. All right. Great. Um, who else do you want to talk about at the inside linebacker spot? Yeah, I mean, they have two other guys that are also first-round players. Thomas Davis, I mean, he's been here. It's just, I mean, he suspended the first four weeks of the year because of PEDs. Um, so this will be his third game back. Uh, I mean, he's been pretty good so far in his return. Um, I mean, they they used to do they used to play a lot of base defense um, because their other guy, Shaq Thompson, was a first round pick, and they wanted to get all three of them on the field. Mm-hmm. But I think Carolina has done a pretty good job with their rotations now that they do a lot more nickel, um, and you know that kind of supplements you know, some of the pressure of having a linebacker guard, a slot corner, tight end, or excuse me, having a linebacker guard, slot receiver, tight end. And it allows them to bring in their nickel package, which has been probably one of the more effective units in the league the past few years. Okay, Uh, I I want to stop you there because the the nickel is then their base pass defense. That's the most commonly used pass defense. uh, When I say that, is that the defense they want to play on third and eight, or do they have a dime they bring out at that point? No, they they, they certainly rarely, if ever, go to dime personnel. They're always going to go uh, nickel, even on like a third and 15, just because they want to get their uh, two stud linebackers on the field. Um, I mean, that, that might be unique in most cases, uh, but I don't think most teams have a linebacker personnel that Carolina does. I think that's certainly true in Keekley's case. I'm not really sure about about Shaq Thompson's ability to cover, relatively speaking. I, that's 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 why I was asking the question. Anyway, I'm I'm a big fan of the dime. I always think basically that your next best, your third best safety on the team in terms of coverage and ability to shut the window between level two and three, which is something Keekley's obviously really good at, is going to generally be better than your second best linebacker in terms of coverage ability. But anyway, maybe that's maybe. Maybe Thompson is better than I think he is, and you, you know, ascribe more to him than that. Do, well, do they- well, no, no, I, I don't, I don't. If they're going to go nickel packages, like I said, they rotate between Thompson and Davis. So, and I think Davis is a lot better as a coverage defender than Thompson is right now. Okay. But Thompson kind of offsets it because he's he makes a lot more plays near the line of scrimmage as a. Um, you know, run defender or even as a blitzer. Um, so if, if I think one, and I'll ask you to watch this during the game, if you do see Thompson on the field on third and eight, there, he's most likely coming on a blitz. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's a lot. That's essentially what I've noticed when they have him on the field on those nickel packages. 
Okay, that's really cool to know because that's the kind of insight we want up front. So Shaq Thompson on the field in a third and long, probably a blitz. Thomas Davis, the more likely choice to be part of the nickel on third and longer situations. Yes. Okay. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Let's let's go to the defensive backfield. Talk about the the, the corners they have outside and slot. Sure. So the outside corners, um, James Bradbury is their number one guy. Um, he was drafted in the second round in 2016. Um, he's a pretty solid player. I mean, he certainly has his issues in coverage. I think a lot of Panther fans get on him about it, and I do too at times. But I think that biggest issue for me with him is just his production isn't great. You know, he doesn't really make a lot of interceptions. Uh, but he's a pretty solid player, especially in zone coverage. He gets to his spots, he matches on routes pretty well, so he's not just standing around. Um, I mean, in, in man coverage, I think he does a pretty good job as well. Uh, I think he flips his hips, you know, at the top of routes. He is a really good athlete, so he can uh, run down the field and kind of make sure that you know receivers aren't separating from him too far. Uh, which kind of puts him in a good position to make a play on the ball, whether it's a deflection or a reception. Um, and on the other side of the field, they have a rookie uh, by the name of Dante Jackson. He was drafted in the second round. He's a completely different type of corner. He's a lot more shorter, uh, but he has like elite speed. Like he ran like close to a four two nine almost at the combine. Um, so, uh, they do a lot more off coverage with him because of his ability to read and react. Um, at LSU, he played a lot of single high safety, so that kind of helped the transition for him to play a lot more off coverage. Where uh, I mean, you're not going to see him press the line of scrimmage; you're going to see him kind of read the quarterback size and zone coverage, and then make a play on the ball and kind of allow his instincts to take over at that point. Uh, and then in the slot, it's the veteran Captain Munnerlyn. Um, I mean, he's been okay. I mean, I wouldn't say he's been anything special. Uh, I mean, he's yeah, kind of he does his job pretty well overall. I mean, he knows where to cover his zone. He's a pretty reliable tackler. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's the corner grouping. Okay, so Munnerlin, another player that I, I, I guess with some a couple more years in Carolina at least. You know, fairly short franchise history. Is he a guy who could maybe go in the ring of honor at some point, or really just always be thought of as a good, solid veteran player, but not quite at that level? Yeah, he probably would be. Then just, I don't think he's going to ring of honor because he was a seventh round draft pick in 2009, I think it was. And yeah, I mean, he's always been kind of up against it odds wise. Um, but yeah, he hasn't really made enough game-changing plays um, to be included in the Ring of Honor or any type of, you know, special moment. I mean, he, I'm sure he'll always be remembered, and, but I don't think his number is going to get retired or anything like that. I think that's only for, like, probably Peppers and a couple other guys. All right. All right. Very good. So uh, let's finish up with a safety uh, tandem of Reed and Adams. Yeah, so... They do. They interchange their safeties quite a bit. Uh, they're mainly a single high defense, uh, but over the past few weeks, they've been doing a lot more cover two and cover four. 
uh, where they have boat safeties protecting, you know, the not the deep middle, but like they kind of split the deep halves, and I think that plays a little to their strengths. But um, for me, Eric Reed, he, I mean, he was signed uh, a few weeks ago, and he's been pretty good. Uh, I think he he's kind of prevented a lot of explosive plays in the run game. Um, like I said, I think I don't think the defensive line and linebacker has been particularly well against the run. So uh, once the run, running back makes it to the second level, he's been really good at preventing it from, you know, becoming a touchdown or long play. Um, you know, in coverage, I think he's been okay. Uh, I mean, I don't think he, he does particularly well in the deep half of the field. Um, but at the same time, I think his strengths mainly come, you know, near the line of scrimmage in the box. He can match up with tight ends pretty well. I just don't think that you want him covering a lot of ground. Um, Mike Adams, some mostly the same thing too, but they have him mainly as like the free safety where he is covering a lot more ground um, and he is producing quite a bit of turnovers too. So, yeah, he... You're most likely going to see him, you know, in the free safety look. And when they do interchange to bring him to the box, I don't think that's a good thing for Carolina's defense because he just he takes the wrong run fits and he can also get stiff arm pretty easily. So, um, yeah, when you have, you know, Smith and, you know, or excuse me, when you have Reed in the box and Adams with a single high, I think that uh, really helps Carolina's defense form an identity. Okay. All right, very good. I, I, I'm sure Ravens fans can can much appreciate a, a safety like Reed, given Tony Jefferson's skill set and the fact that he really hasn't worked out too much as a back-end player. I think he's improved slightly this year, but it's still the weakest part of his game. He's really a fill-in for the gap that is lost when Kenny Young tries to make a play. So <laughs> it's it's uh, it's definitely a safety type I really enjoy, and I like I like having a safety who can match up with a bigger tight end and it still not be a problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and Tony Jefferson's definitely that. And he, he uh, uh, I think Reed, uh, you know, by your description of him probably meets that as well. Yeah, exactly. He's like your typical, um, you know, box strong safety player. Uh, he does a pretty good job, you know, with a lot of his assignments in that regard. Okay. Well, great job, Billy. What do you want to tell us about special teams? I'll just leave it wide open because we don't want to go over every individual. But Graham Gano, another ex-Raven, it seems like every week the Ravens play somebody they had uh, at least during training camp one year. Yeah, so they're a pretty strong coverage unit. They do. Um, they have both of their highly drafted rookie receivers, Curtis Samuel and... Um, DJ Moore acting as gunners in special teams. So they're really strong in coverages, uh, especially punt coverages. I mean, kickoffs, they usually just punt it in the end zone for touchbacks. Um, yeah, Gag Gano has been uh, pretty reliable this year. I mean, he has missed an extra point the past two weeks, but it really hasn't mattered because, you know, Carolina eventually just comp or offset it by converting a two point conversion. Uh, but, I mean, he did make a 63 yard field goal to win the game against New York. So that kind of created a lot of goodwill amongst the fans. So he hasn't really missed any important kicks. I'll just say that. Um, and yeah, their punter Polardi 
and just the point of coverage in general has been really good um, over the past few years. And I, I, you know, I expect that to continue, um, you know, punt return wise, it's a toss up on who can return it. It's, you know, DJ Moore, he struggled. I mean, he fumbled against Washington, uh, but he did return a couple punts last week, but I think the main guy that you would expect to return punts is going to be um, another one of the receivers by the name of Demir bird. So, yeah, I, I would expect him to return punts and kickoff. Same thing. I think Bird is probably going to be their guy. Okay. All right. Billy, it's just an outstanding run-through on the personnel and some of the schemes the, the uh, Panthers use. Is there anything else, something that, that you'd like to talk about in terms of the Panthers, maybe an advantage that the Panthers can take advantage of and then maybe one also that the Ravens can take advantage of to, to, that plays against the strength of the Panthers? Yeah, like I said, I think the if you guys really bring five or more uh, defenders on each passing down, then that'll really affect Carolina's passing game. I don't really see them having too much success this week. So, um, yeah, that, I think that's one area where I feel like you're going to have you know, a decent amount of, um, you know, create a decent amount of struggles for Carolina's offense. And, I mean, I'll go to the other side of the ball, too. I think that if Baltimore really attacks Carolina in the middle of the field, um, especially like with their tight ends. Now they've, uh, you know, they drafted a guy in the first round and the other guy they drafted from Oklahoma. He's been pretty good. So uh, I think if Flacco attacks them, you know, down the middle of the field, then that's going to cause a lot of problems for Carolina's defense. All right. Very good. How about, how about what's the matchup you look for Carolina to win against the Ravens? Yeah. So I think I'm going to go with the, I think that it'll, it'll be a fun matchup between Turner and I'm guessing Brandon Williams is one of their interior guys. So that should be a, a pretty intriguing matchup to follow. Um, uh, you know, I'm not confident they're going to win. And, um, I don't know who's going to win any, any matchup in particular, but I think that, uh, you know, that, that should be a fun one for guys like myself, who like watching the trenches. All right. All right, very good. Just a little bit of background about you, Billy. We should really do this up front, but I want to get it in anyway here at the end since we yeah, did. Yeah, sure. How did you get into this, and, and, and what do you do in terms of charting and whatnot? Tell us a little bit about your own background with this. Yeah, so, let's see, I played when I was younger uh, in high school, uh, so I have a pretty good understanding of the game, and I'm thinking, well, went to college, I was living with a few guys who were coaching and I went to a few of their high school practices at the time. And I just kind of learned and picked up on concepts and, and, and some other things about how to attack defenses and whatnot. And I just, from there, I found resources, books and other things online and just kind of taught myself. Uh, and then I began watching a lot of games, you know, through the all 22 and following college, uh, you know, the evolution of certain, passing offenses whether it's the air raid or run and shoot uh yeah i mean you know eventually just kind of made myself aware of a lot of the you know how the game has kind of progressed over the years all right well outstanding stuff and uh tell them again where they can find your material online sure so um you can find me on twitter at billy m underscore 91 and i'm also Find my articles at thecatscratchreader.com. Um, yeah, I usually write one film article per week, so I should have something hopefully by Friday. 
All right, that's terrific. And do you do anything in terms of individual play analysis? Do you do any data collection? Do you, do you just analyze film? And I, I don't mean just because it's a big chore, obviously. And um, or do you analyze film and just make an article from that, or do you do you try and actually record information so you can group things and 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 make uh, overarching comments about uh, the defense or offense? Well, certainly. I, well, I don't do it myself. I, I use other resources, whether it's Football Outsiders or Pro Football Focus or some other of these websites that track the data. Um, you know, I, I certainly supplement it with, you know, my own film work. Uh, but for the most part, I'm watching the game multiple times on the old 22 to get an idea of what's happening. And then I go to like some of these websites to get a better sense of uh, you know, if the numbers are kind of matching up with what I see, and then I can kind of use those to uh, you know, project it into my articles, essentially. All right. Well, outstanding work. We we appreciate uh, you taking the time with us. Uh, Josh, we have anything in the mailbag, in, we, in particular, anything for the Panthers? We do. We've got one, uh, one mailbag question that I think will be relevant and fun for both of you to answer, and that is uh, looking back at last year's draft, because Carolina and Baltimore and uh, and Atlanta will include Atlanta. Uh, this is from Mr. Ed, who gets in. Thoughts on the first-round NFL draft picks, 24 through 26, which were Carolina, then Baltimore, then Atlanta. Who did you want? What were your player grades? And did each team make the right decision? And I don't need to tell you guys, but those three players were DJ Moore, Hayden Hurst, and Calvin Ridley. Yeah, well, I know which me, team made the wrong pick. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, I nothing against Hayden Hurst. I just I really wanted no part of a 26 year old, 25 year old tight end in the first round. Uh, yeah, I just I didn't like that part of it. I also didn't really care for his game too much, uh, and I felt that Baltimore drafted probably a better tight end in the third round with Mark Andrews. Um, but anyway, uh, I. I definitely prefer DJ Moore because of his athleticism and some of the things he was able to do on a very bad Maryland offense. And I felt that, you know, he transcended them to a point that was appealing. Um, and you're seeing some of those traits kind of transfer over. Um, he still has weaknesses. I mean, he was the first receiver taken, but it wasn't until what the 24th pick. Uh, so I do feel comfortable that he will eventually break those bad habits uh, but it's going to be a process with them. But yeah, I, I would certainly have uh, more than Ridley than probably Hurst as a, you know, my top three in that case. Yeah, the three of those three. Uh, I, I agree entirely on your on your order. A lot of people didn't want more over Ridley. I think Ridley has, has obviously benefited some from circumstances so far this year. But in terms of who is the more exceptional athlete, I, I will agree with you. It's probably more of those two. Um, the, you know, we're going to get through this entire episode and we're not going to mention the name of the guy, the Ravens probably should have drafted with the original pick they had. So we won't do that, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, we're going to, we're going to let it go and just say, yeah, that I I don't think Hurst has been, uh, he's so far not really on the track. The Ravens won, obviously he's only caught one ball. I think that's on four or five targets so far in, uh, in three games. So, uh, not an exciting start for him. 
Josh, you want to close us up here? Yeah. Do you got anything yeah. else? No, we can close up on that. Of course, uh, being the local, the Maryland guy, DJ Moore's the guy I wanted during all of that and thought we had a real chance to get and uh, was uh, was frustrated when it was picked right before us. Oh, I, I did have one more question just yep. came in. It's from at Film Study Ravens. He asks us, who is the player you would have rather had between Cam Newton and Von Miller? If you had the 2011 draft to do over, uh, definitely Cam. <laughs> uh, I think if you look back, a lot of the reports and local guys who are really plugged in with the Panthers, they, it actually came down to Cam Newton and AJ Green. And in that case, I probably still would have li- preferred Cam. Uh, but I mean, it kind of makes a interesting, you know, debate between whether. you You'd rather have Green or Miller, and that's no slight to either player. I mean, obviously both are elite at what they do, but I think that you know, anytime you can find a franchise quarterback like Cam, then you got to pull the pl- trigger. And the Carolina before that really never really had a franchise quarterback. I mean, they were living with guys like Kerry Collins and Jake DeLome and um, you know, just all sorts of issues. So I hope I mean that kind of just killed two birds with one stone essentially when they drafted him. Okay, very good. I mean, obviously, incredible first round of that draft. Having JJ Watt was also in that draft, drafted number eleven, right? So, yeah, outstanding first round. Anyway, I, I don't. I'm not going to disagree with you on the Newton pick, but I'd probably rather have Miller. Um, all right. Well, thanks again for joining us, Billy. Uh, Josh, uh, tell them about where they can find what they can find out on Birdland Sports and. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Radio? Sure. Uh, I had one one quick question for Billy. Is have you checked the weather forecast yet for Sunday in Charlotte? Because I'm really hoping rain, based on the way Joe Flacco's been yeah. playing. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually haven't seen it. I haven't checked the weather at all. But uh, usually it is pretty dry and you know, like a pretty typical fall Carolina day this time of the year. So that's what I'm sort of expecting. All right. All right. That that works. Um, all right, yeah, birdlandsports.com is where you can find this podcast and many other Ravens and Orioles uh, conversations going on over there. And, of course, Russell Street Report is as well where you can find this, Know Your Foe, and a lot more writings uh, getting ready for the for the Ravens-Panthers game this week. So, all right, guys. Well, uh, thank you, Billy, for joining us again. Ken, we will talk again soon. Have a good week. Life's good, Josh. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. 
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.